what did you eat for breakfast? Um, I had uh, some crackers and some peanut butter. <laughs> you are listening to the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. Business. This episode is sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Print Company located in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, due to the current situation, with all live music being essentially stopped, it'll come as no surprise to many people listening to this show that musicians, and especially their support crew and management teams, have found their income dramatically reduced. That's why the Skinny Armadillo has set up a website to support artists called Music for Good. You can purchase a specially designed t-shirt for this cause, and $10 from that t-shirt will be donated to any band or artist of your choice. You can also donate money as well as purchasing the shirt. All you need to do is go to musicforgood.itemorder.com. That's musicforgood.itemorder.com. And of course, there'll be a link to the website on musiconyourownterms.com with the show notes and also in the social media posts for this episode. Make sure you stay up to date with the podcast by signing up to the mailing list at musiconyourownterms.com. There you'll find show notes to every episode and links to other resources. Welcome to episode 52 of the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. Anais Azul is a multi-instrumentalist, singer, and composer based in both California and Boston that I met at last year's CD Baby DIY Musician Conference. In this episode, we talk about what brought Anais's family from their native Peru to the U.S., going to Boston University to study music and composition, and what projects and communities keep them bicoastal. We hear about the musical projects that Anais is involved in, as well as their solo music and multifaceted performances that Anais's goals are to be as interactive as possible, with the intent of being collective healing slash meditation events as much as they are musical performances. Finally, we touch on the current COVID-19 situation, what Anais has done to pivot as a music teacher, and what listeners can do to shift their mindset to improve their positivity. So here is the interview. All right. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. Today, I'm joined by Anais Azul. Uh, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Pretty awesome. surprisingly well, this quarantine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we met at the uh, CD Baby conference last August. Um, so let's, uh, let's just uh, dive in and just if you could... Um, you know, tell everyone uh, what you do. I mean, you're you're a singer, multi instrumentalist, a uh, bunch of other stuff. If you could tell us, you know, a little bit about you. Yeah. Um. So 
Yes, my name is Anais Azul. I use they, them, their pronouns, and I'm a singer-songwriter and also teaching artist and community organizer for um, uh, other young artists, up-and-coming artists, and um, for interdisciplinary community work uh, in here in the Bay Area in California and also in Boston, Massachusetts. I consider myself bi-coastal at this moment, um, although mm-hmm. right now pretty pretty homebound to the Bay Area, not as bi-coastal right. as before. But um, yeah, that's the gist. I think another important part of my practice is using music as a tool for collective healing. And um, I try to integrate plant medicine and ancestral knowledges when I do voice lessons and also when I am making my own music and when I have live performances as well. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, what did, uh, first of all, what did you think of the conference? What was your big takeaways? Ah, uh, yes. Oh, the DIY Musician Conference was so awesome. Um, I learned a lot from from this speaker. I think his name was Kevin Tam. Am I correct? Do you remember Oh, him? Simon Tam. Simon Tam. Yes. Wow. My bad. Yes, exactly. Simon Tam was so inspiring. I, I went to did both. Did you go to? I went to both. Did. I was in both, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was mind-blowing. Yes. I think... Um, his his ideas of how to put your music in unusual spaces that you wouldn't expect it to be like as a perk for buying a sake bottle or as like making your own yelp account as a band to review the restaurants you love i think just his ideas were so so clever and i hope to adopt some of them if anything they just kept me really fired up to be my authentic self as he was. So yeah, that was like my biggest takeaway. Um, Definitely. Awesome. What did you think about the, uh, the, the, um, the tone of the, um, the attendees? I mean, I found it really supportive, really. um, I was blown away by the, the amount of uh, musicianship and how good people were when I saw them perform. It kind of, you know, made me think, oh crap, I need to practice way more. <laughs> but I mean, no, in just in general, it was so supportive. Everyone, you know, like talked to people and, and got to know. I came away with a ton of uh, contacts and, you know, friends. Mm-hmm. So I think it was great that way. Yeah. Anything else that you found? I I also felt like I met a ton of really awesome people and I was so bummed because I was about to sit at a cafe, you know, maybe... um maybe come January or late December, I was sitting at a cafe and I had this like uh, plastic bag with all of the business cards and information from different people. And I was going to start emailing folks to try to connect. And then I left the cafe and I forgot the Uh, bag there and I didn't even get like two emails done. And by the time I realized that I had left it there, it was no longer at the cafe. And so I lost the information of a lot of people, but I'm feeling really grateful for social media and that, Mm -hmm. you know, we were able to stay in touch in that way. And some other lovely people that I met there, um, for example, I met Animal Prince there, the the dream pop duo, 
And what I love about them is that they break out into dance in the middle of their set. And I've mm. never seen a band do that, like in a in a non-pretentious, super like whimsical way. And they they just are really delightful people. And they're also based um, in the Bay Area in Oakland, actually. Okay. And so we've gotten to jam out once. And that was really fun. Um, I, I look forward to jamming with them again post quarantine. But. Right. Definitely, cool. definitely feel like I made some really genuine connections. It was not a competitive feeling at all. It was like mm -hmm. a let's lift each other up, let's share each other's music, let's repost each other's stuff, um, and share resources. So it was, it was really, it, it was a great community to be a part of. Fantastic. So let's dig into your background. So you you were born in Peru, is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so how? So what? Um, what prompted the move to the state? So I mean, is Mm -hmm. Actually, I mean, assuming that you moved directly, was there any other uh, moves or? Uh, yeah. So actually, this is this is one of my favorite life stories. Actually, um, so my my parents and I moved from Lima, Peru, to um, the U.S. when I was four years old, and that happened okay. because my grandfather, from my dad's side had put um, the names of all of his family members into the visa lottery. Um, okay. And this was something, unfortunately, that doesn't exist. But apparently, believe it or not, the U.S. had a diversity initiative once upon a time. And w <laughs> as part of this diversity initiative, um, people from underrepresented countries in the U.S. were allowed to have this lottery. So um, my grandfather put all of these names in and my parents had no idea that their names were in the lottery because I guess my grandfather didn't want anyone to have any expectations about anything because it's a lottery. Sure. But actually, my mom got a letter one day and and it had it had like a special number saying that she'd won the visa lottery and she was sure like this is spam like this is not real right and then my dad gets a letter like a week later with a different number and so he was like this this feels different uh this i don't know if this is spam so they started calling relatives and when they called my grandfather he started cracking up because he had put their names in the visa lottery um my grandfather at the time was uh living in florida so okay. uh, he was a visual artist. Uh, he passed away f a few years ago, but he was a visual I'm artist. Yeah, it's okay. Um, he he was definitely someone who moved around a lot for his art. And so he was in Florida at the time. And so uh, once we figured out the whole green card situation and were fortunate enough to have that pretty much gifted to us after an interview, um, this was like around when I was one year old. We were in Florida for um, for some time hanging out there. We didn't end up set settling there. We went back to Lima. And when my aunt um, settled in the Bay Area and started going to community college here um, in California, that's when she kind of summoned us again and said, like, mm -hmm. you, you all need to come here. And my parents had some friends from college that were also living in the Bay Area and said, like, schools are great here. Public education is super, like, accessible and awesome and integrated. And so I was really lucky to then grow up in the Bay Area. Um, so that was kind of the initial journey. There were, I guess, Florida was a stop between um, uh, Cal uh, Lima and California, uh, the Bay Area. Okay. So, sure. yeah. And then you attended uh, Boston University? Yeah, I did. I did. That was um, about 
uh, I guess I got there in 2013 and graduated 2017 to study music composition and theory. And then mm -hmm. uh, just like stuck around an extra couple of years because I started really building community there and started performing my singer songwriter stuff. Um, yeah. So why did you choose Boston? Uh, I, I mean, it's a great city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a great city. Um, I I chose Boston because, well, I really I think I chose I chose Boston and I chose BU like the school because. I really wanted to go somewhere far away from home. Uh, I wanted to experience um, uh, a sense of an adult life on my own and mm. um, felt like I had the knowledge and uh, the resources to apply for a lot of scholarships to, to make that possible. And um, there was some there was a really awesome Berkeley scholarship for Berkeley High students, which I, I went to Berkeley High School and I was able to have that. So it really helped me kind of be mm. able to choose whatever school felt like the best fit. And I was looking for a school that had uh, like a robust music program or like a conservatory program, but in a school where like it's not just music. Like I was really intimidated by the idea of even applying to Berkeley College of Music or New England right. Conservatory because I was like, also, what will I do? Like just artists all the time. I think I may go mad. Like I think I need <laughs> I need something more eclectic. Um, and I'm sure. and so I chose BU because of that. And honestly, I was so so charmed and blown away by the spring in New England that, you know, that definitely stole my heart. And then, of course, I suffered through all of the snowstorms <laughs> for years after. Um, but that's totally why I'm it. in Texas. <laughs> yes. Yes. I totally understand. Oh, cannot stand snow. Um, but no, that's great. And then um, so what did you get out of the college experience um, specifically other than obviously the music education? But what what? Um, what did that experience give you in terms of um, everything surrounding the music and community, etc.? Mm, I think it mostly taught me what I really don't like. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think it, it taught me that I, I, I don't want to write something for the sake of it being complicated, for the sake of it being new, for the sake of it being mm. experimental. Like, I think it made me really align with my purpose of like, I want to make something that makes me feel better, that makes, and like, therefore, when I share it, there is this, and I think a lot of musicians can relate to this, like the sharing of this music is this catharsis. And mm -hmm. as I'm doing that, I have seen the numerous times that, other people are feeling the same way you know it, it is a tool for us to feel less alone and I think oftentimes what I realized in this composition program is that composition was assumed to be a very isolated process you do you go into a practice room for like six hours and you just kind of like self-indulge and torture yourself in this really like isolated process and um I I like wrote a lot of music in that time and also was really had a lot of mental health issues in this time and mm. it was kind of interesting because 
Um, though I did, I did start songwriting when I was 16 through this really awesome program here in the Bay Area uh, called Bump Records as part of the mm -hmm. Bay Area Video Coalition. They have like a youth records label that really uplifted me. Um, but when I went into conservatory to learn how to write for orchestra, um, which is an invaluable skill that I honestly use way more than I ever thought I would, um, then I stopped thinking about songwriting because there was there's a sense of elitism also when you go to music school probably any music mm -hmm. school but especially conservatory when you're classically trained quote in quotes um right. so i felt for a long time even though it wasn't really spoken but even like tonal music was something that was frowned upon so for mm -hmm. me to like the key of c major and not only the key of c major but like no chords with accidentals within that framework or for me to like a melody that's hummable um was kind of like controversial in this environment right, right. for me to even like minimalism for me to like philip glass was controversial <laughs> so <laughs> there's um there was all this kind of um elitist tension in the school sure. but ultimately i did i did have some mentors along the way and i think the most valuable skills i learned were the orchestration skills and really having to study orchestra orchestral music you get access to this color palette of all these instruments like it's not every every person that just like knows what a bassoon sounds like you know or like knows what an oboe versus an english horn sounds like and so i i spent a lot of time really deeply listening partially because it was I was going to get tested on it. I was going to have an exam and I had to say what instruments there were. But for me, it was like my funnest class was orchestration. Um, mm. And I think that really influenced the way my music is now. I guess um, probably in my third year of college, I started bringing back the singer-songwriter spirit into me. And uh, thanks to a really great friend of mine who has now become my manager, um, she's the one that told me like, Anais, you should just perform this song. I'm like, it only has like five notes in it. Like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I I already had, I was so in my head about what music was supposed to sound like um, because I was in right. music school. Um, but then when I did it, I, I, I performed at an open mic and it was so, so well received. Everyone wanted to hear it. People wanted videos of it. And so I made it happen. And um, after that, I slowly started reincorporating all these skills from orchestration into my music. And I think that's why now I'm like obsessed with um, strings in my music. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think the orchestral, my orchestral knowledge and love is still like super present in my music and um, important for me. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely hear from the kind of the rock world that, you know, too much education kills your, your music and, mm -hmm. you know, you get that kind of mindset and then you get the, the, the kind of teachers saying, well, it, it doesn't kill it. You, you basically be, you're able to explain what you're doing, but it does seem like that education from what you're saying, um, it did kind of give you the mindset that you can't do certain things until you got out of that mindset and mm -hmm. became, you know, went back to quote unquote normal. You know. Yeah. Yes. Creating a new normal through through this transformative process. There's definitely. Um, y yes. Uh, just I think just yes to what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Awesome. Uh, oh, yes. Um, sorry. I have one more thing. Um, 
I I went to just kind of someone who kind of disrupts this idea of classical music that I really admire is Meredith Monk. And um, I went to see her perform at the ICA in Boston. And afterwards, I like nerdily and super nervously introduced myself to her. um, And I asked her, like, what is some advice that that like she would give to a young composer who is like about to graduate from music school. And she said, forget everything you learned. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, okay. Thank you, Meredith Monk. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's kind of like all that technical knowledge is kind of the polar opposite of making music to communicate your emotion, Mm -hmm. which is what music is. Yes. Yes. So, um, and so you, uh, you, you also, I don't know if you currently sing or, um, if you're not in the band anymore, but, uh, cathartic conundrum. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that still a current project of yours or it's, it's not a current project of mine, but it was definitely a super important, uh, aspect of, of my, I guess, um, transition into being a solo artist um mm. i met these two delightful humans jesse colford and uh nick samuel uh at bu and they were actually okay. we were all actually in a salsa band together which was kind of my introduction into like singing publicly in spanish and uh leading a band and it was it was it was so much fun we were called presencia we were we were a ton of fun and one day i decided you know I'm doing all this work for this salsa band. Like, how awesome would it be to put in that kind of energy for my own music? Um, and I love playing with other people. And I also, like I was saying earlier, want to disrupt this narrative of you're a composer, so you have to write in isolation. And I said, okay, if I'm in a band, then I don't have to write in isolation. I can collaborate with these people and we can develop the sound that we want to hear. So, um mm. I, I think I wrote a Facebook post one day just saying, hey, who wants to be in my band? And these two friends replied. Uh, and so we got together and played a couple of my songs. And it just it just felt right. A trio has always like has ever since then felt like a really great um layout for, for music. And we were we were all classically trained music nerds who were trying to like just be regular musicians in a way. <laughs> and so it was saxophone. Um and bass and voice from Jesse. We were all multi-instrumentalists. And um, then from Nick, he played uh, the glockenspiel and also the drum kit and some desk bells, like the kind of toy desk bells, which were really fun. And so together, the three of us, me on piano or ukulele and voice, we kind of developed a kind of whimsical sound together. And um, it it was an important part of me uh trying to realize that composing doesn't have to be in isolation and also a transition of me uh feeling okay with my music not being like quote complex uh and in some ways i know that it still is complex um what even is complex (laughs) so um i think the reason for me also that I, I've talked to my former bandmates about that, that like I needed to to have cathartic conundrum in a way is that I was so 
afraid of being that singer songwriter that I had to hide behind a different name and mm. and cathartic conundrum kind of became became that name that I hid behind. And then, of course, something dramatic happened in September of 2018. I got hit by a car. And when you get hit by a car, you have an existential crisis. I'm luckily, like, well for the most part now. Um, And I said, I can't just keep hiding behind things. Like, I want to be my full self. You know, I want to... I, I don't want to compartmentalize parts of my identity. Like, I don't want to compartmentalize myself as like, this is me as a singer-songwriter, and this is me as an orchestral arranger, and this is me as an organizer, and me as a queer person, and me as a teacher, blah, 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 blah. I want to just, like, this is all Anais Azul, and I want to to own that and celebrate that. Um, so mm. that's, that's what prompted that transition, although um, the songs were were like written by me the lyrics and the melodies were written by me the arrangements were really made collaboratively as cathartic conundrum uh sure and i think i still definitely collaborate a lot with um with the music that i put out now oftentimes with this duo petting kazoo uh an oboist Mm -hmm. violinist multi-instrumentalist duo (laughs) in boston and so i still i've like kind of learned i can have these collaborations but still realize and appreciate the fact that it's under my artistic vision that this is happening Mm. so um that's kind of my long-winded answer to your question no fantastic (laughs) glad glad you're okay first of all yeah thank you that's that's um pretty uh severe um so uh what uh let's go into um some of the projects you've worked on Mm -hmm. um first one i saw you a lead composer for dts and unfortunately, I didn't write what the uh, what the initials stand for. So could you talk about Yes, that? of course. Um, so Dance Theater Surreality, they, yep. they're an amazing, um, uh, what do you call this? Not bi-coastal, bi-continental, bi-national, bi-national. That's the word. <laughs> uh, okay. bi- bi-national dance theater company based out of Paris and New York City. And Mm -hmm. um, director in New York City, her name is Lauren Lubney, and she's an amazing collaborator and choreographer. And I've been working uh, with her on some uh, compositions for this really beautiful, intense story about these birds that go on a life's journey. Uh, But these birds are represented by women and non-binary people who have had experiences Mm -hmm. as women uh, and showing their their kind of trajectory towards personal growth and like, in a way, self-actualization, but also just being okay with who they are. Um, And all done really metaphorically and beautifully. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's definitely a work in progress. So I won't go into super detail. I don't know how much okay. she wants me to share about it. But sure. I've been uh, writing some things for for me to sing, but also things for like classical instruments to play alongside and in, in an integrated way with the dancers. Oh, sorry. With the dancers. Um, sure. So that's kind of so what that's that not something that's been performed yet. It's still in. It's still it's still in it the works. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you go about writing something for that? Does the uh, like does she have an idea of a theme and say, can you write it something like this film soundtrack, or she kind of give you like a a freedom to kind of create something on your own? Like, where's the 
Like, how, how do you work on that particular side of things? Mm, yeah, so it's there's definitely been film soundtrack references. <laughs> um, that's that's um, totally welcome. Sometimes it's really hard to explain the sound of something you want to hear. And so having reference mm-hmm. tracks is totally welcomed. What I think has been super special about the process of working with her has been going into the dance studio with her and the dancers and sometimes even improvising musicians. Um, Mm. And sometimes I think the most beautiful times is when it's just like one musician, one dancer, myself as a composer, and then Lauren as a director and kind of writing and transcribing things on the fly of what the musician is improvising for the different parts of the narrative arc. So, um, and then I I just really, it's a process and a practice of deep listening and understanding Mm. like a lot of intuitive listening to body movement even. Um, And so like when I say, when I see like Lauren laugh at something or like feel charmed at something, then I will like try to make a note of it, say like, okay, she, she had a positive reaction to this. Um, But also she was really generous and took a lot of videos of rehearsals when I couldn't make it out to New York City um, so that uh, I could write thing, transcribe things or write new things based on movement I'm seeing. Um, and also sometimes I, I'm kind of a character in this in this piece of, mm-hmm. of theater too. So sometimes I will improvise things that I sing and sometimes those things that I sing end up becoming things that are for a different instrument like a violin or a cello. So um, it's like a super uh, dialogue kind of exchange. Mm-hmm which I think has been really special. It's not like, I want you to do this. Like, here's here's the movement. It's I also feel like I can say, like, but wh- I can ask questions about the movement. I can ask questions about the intention. And that's what mm. makes, um, what I think makes her a really great collaborator. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like, sounds like a lot of work, but a lot of fun. It, it is both of those things. <laughs> yes. Um, and so then the other thing was uh, you're a co-organizer of Weird Folk. Could you talk to that? Yeah, Weird Folk Fest. So um, it's a grassroots uh, arts organization and community-based organization based out of Boston, Massachusetts. And I co-run it with um, Raphael Natan, who also has their independent music project as Flight or Visibility Music. And... Mm-hmm. They invited me to join the team in April of 2018. I don't know why I spoke like that. (laughs) (laughs) April of 2018. And since then, I had curated... They invited me initially to curate the People of Color Festival, so POC Folk Fest. So um, they wanted to have more diversity in the lineups and the events and to really address issues in an intersection from an intersectional perspective and kind of after POC Folk Fest we we took Weird Folk Fest in a really different direction of trying to meet community needs so asking pe- the people of Boston um what do you want to see? Especially like mm-hmm. people that identified in ways that we or in communities that we were both kind of a part of, like queer people of color, trans people, um, people who are artists, people who do interdisciplinary art, people who don't feel like there's a platform to share their art, whether mm. because it's like, oh, I don't really want to play at a bar because a bar won't book me because I'm too experimental or I'm too wordy 
or like I use classical instruments and so I don't feel safe playing at a bar or like whatever whatever the situation mm-hmm. is or I'm a new poet no one knows who I am I barely have social media but I found you on Facebook and so I want to go to this open mic and so we started co- hosting more like open mic type events and potlucks and I think one of our proudest events has been uh, one that we intended to do this month. Uh, Obviously it's not happening but it's um, called With Home or Without where we invited, uh, we had an open mic and a clothing drive specifically to uplift the voices of people who have experienced homelessness or housing insecurity Mm -hmm. in the past or who are currently experiencing that themselves so that they can share a story, a song, a play. And one one of the the generous performers even um even like just opened themselves up for to answer questions about taboos and stigmas surrounding homelessness. And so it was like mm-hmm. a really beautiful, compassionate event. And what I think was the proudest like two of the proudest things for us is we provided free food for everyone who attended and we also provided a $50 stipend to all of the open mic performers. So you nice. usually open mics, as you know, are sometimes even pay to play. So right, so right. I think we wanted to disrupt that narrative, especially for populations that are vulnerable or have been vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we really try to try to create events that can uplift people. And I think another proud event is Queer Carnival, which we want to make an mm-hmm. annual event uh, that is a kind of anti-capitalist, grassroots, substance-free pride event, uh, a kind of counter-pride mm-hmm. event. So uh, I was frustrated with how pride just is sometimes an excuse for early day drinking and or <laughs> all day day drinking and how banks have kind of co-opted the LGBT community to um, to kind of have a better branding or be more accessible mm-hmm. or whatever. So we wanted Queer Carnival to be for queer people, by queer people, specifically artists. So it's like a day-long right. festival with vendors of all types, like food vendors, um, mm-hmm. visual artists, zines, nonprofit organizations, grassroots organizations. Actually, I don't think we really have nonprofits. It's all like grassroots um, and okay. acoustic performances throughout the day. And it's always a huge success. People love it. Um, so that's that's an event that we definitely want to keep happening. It's happened twice now. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what Weird Folk Fest is about. And my heart is definitely like very deeply invested in in that and that's what kind of keeps me by coastal at this point um right my attachments to the community that uh we built through weird folk fest that's fantastic thanks yeah i do think i mean any, anything like that that gets too commercialized like south by southwest for instance mm, it's gotten mm-hmm. so big and then you get all the commercial stuff and it kind of kills the the heart and center of of the artistic stuff that was there you know to begin with so definitely definitely yeah. so yeah i mean let's let's talk dig into that a little bit so you mentioned before that you were going through some mental health stuff um you know if, if you feel comfortable talking about that what you know what what was the impetus of that and how did that affect your music yeah i think um in college specifically sophomore year i went through something very common called the sophomore slump 
Um, and I think I, I felt a lot of homesickness uh, in, mm-hmm. in like, I think it was like one of the biggest blizzards that Boston had ever experienced. That was in like um, 2014. And so it was a kind of quarantine mm. feeling in a way, but going out or like looking out your window was miserable because it was all covered in snow. So I was definitely feeling really lost also because of this pressure and this elitism and just feeling like I didn't really belong and like I didn't even know how to be myself, which is probably just like a general crisis people in their early 20s have uh, or their late teens. But I also felt like it was this this environment was not supporting me. So I definitely felt like a lot of um, depression surrounding this and uh, a, a definitely a lack of worthiness that I'm still mm. kind of working at and picking at uh, till this day. And I, I think I've I've just kind of had, I guess, since since really since the beginning of college, just uh, kind of intermittent. Uh, depressive episodes and bouts of anxiety to deal with. Now it's like mostly anxiety <laughs> that I deal mm. with. Um, but I, I guess the way that it, in, it has like informed me is the first song I ever performed of me playing the piano and singing at the same time was called Anxiety. Um, okay. And it was a super simple song. And it was just me feeling how in this moment, like of anxiety and stress, like where my stomach hurts, where I feel like I'm going to faint or like I'm shaking or something like a panic attack. If I do really focus and play this song and just release this all through my voice, I I felt I just felt the catharsis like instantly. I felt like this heat on my back going up to my shoulders and kind of like shooting out of like through my mouth and just mm. releasing this. Um, and it, it just it was so physical it was so it was so physical the way the way music helped me get through that um that like mental health struggle and I think other songs that I've written like the song analysis paralysis which recently released um was one I I was just going into a spiral I it was around New Year's and I was I like fell into into like a moment of of really deep depression. It was short-lived, fortunately, but I just, like, couldn't get out of bed. I didn't want to get dressed. Like, I just felt this way. And when I finally, like, managed to get out and go to work, <clears throat> fortunately, I worked at a music school, and so I had a beautiful grand piano uh, to mm. my available to myself. And so before my lesson, I just sat there and played a pattern and played a pattern and just, like, as soothing. And I feel like that's what I've always loved about um minimalism and music in general is when things repeat themselves like I think now I'm kind of getting into chanting a little bit more and writing chants of my own and really realizing the power of repetition and how we can Mm. um if we say something enough times we can we end up believing it you know for better or for Mm -hmm. worse and and I think I I really aim to use it for better and that's why also when I have live performances or even I'd had like one little live stream show so far we'll see how many more I'm feel up to doing but um when people sing along to something there is there's this feeling of of like collective well-being that comes about Mm -hmm. in my experience and and I know that when I am feeling heavy inside that the act of singing together is like feels physically uplifting 
even if we were singing something kind of dark together. Um, sure. And in the case of analysis paralysis, it's just a statement of, I don't want to analyze anything anymore. I'm done with overthinking, you know, and singing mm. that again and again and in the register of my voice where it rings in a, in a way that feels like I am letting this go. I am making this a true statement and I'm going to say it until I believe it until this changes for real. So that's um, fantastic. My experience with that connection. Yeah, I mean, I definitely relate because uh, if I, if I'm having a low moment, I'll, you know, and and so I don't do it all the time, but I'll pick up the guitar and I'll I'll play in a clean tone with like ton of reverb and play something kind of melancholy, and I just repeat the same kind of phrases yes. over and over, and it's very very um, meditative. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. That's how we can yeah, soothe totally. with with repetition. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So going forward, I mean, what, what do you think is the bulk of your, um, well, let's, let's put it, um, from a financial stance. What, what do you make more money at doing? (laughs) Um, what do I make more money doing? Um, well, I currently, and I, I have been making a living, um, through teaching really primarily. Mm -hmm. So giving okay. private lessons. Um, right now I'm giving ukulele, uh, piano and voice lessons. I also have taught. Oh, I'm also t- teaching bilingual songwriting. I'm fluent in Spanish and English. So I offer these lessons mm-hmm. in whatever language uh, suits the student best. And yeah, I'm offering these lessons online right now. So, you know, hit me up. Uh, <laughs> I have vacancies. I have openings. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've been teaching... From for kids as as young as five years old to um, elders, so I I really I really love teaching and in this kind of mind body modality that um, I learned from my good friend um, Nora Maynard who has her music academy in Boston. Um, so from her and from mm-hmm. other teachers like Odea Nini, just, there's just like a lot of amazing people that I've that I've learned from and. Um, definitely integrate this like mind body practice when I give lessons. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, from, from a, uh, from a musical standpoint, what do you get the most joy out of doing from all these different areas? Uh, I, I really, I get the most joy out of performing. I'm not going to lie. I miss it. Um, I think it's where I am able to integrate myself the most because uh, as as you can tell, I love talking, so I feel like I can share my song, but also share the story behind it, share where I'm mm-hmm. at. You know, I recently started doing kind of guided meditations before a song, kind of bringing people into mm. the, the world of it. Like for analysis paralysis, it has kind of a long intro. And so I've started doing like, I want you to think about that thing that you've been mulling over for way too long. I want you to like hold that in your brain and I want you to let go of it. I I want you to give yourself permission to take a break from that thought pattern, you know? And, and so really trying to integrate this, this notion I have inside of myself that music can be medicine. Music is medicine. And, um, and I think I can just, I do that best when I'm performing and have even had, um, like my, my, uh, music video release party for the healing music video that's out. Um, I had like a whole workshop 
beforehand mm-hmm. uh, and we we wrote words that um words or things that made us anxious and then words or things that made us feel uplifted and we used watercolors to reveal these words that we wrote with crayons and after that I had made brewed some tea some relaxing healing tea and I passed it around and we all had tea together and it just I felt like this is what I want to do I, I want to be able to integrate my my um my plant medicine knowledge my music medicine this whole like a whole a really holistic approach to to music and so i think i i i enjoy it the most i enjoy my music making the most when i can be the most integrated um so yeah that's 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 awesome it's definitely um i i definitely feel that music um you know it can be minimalist in terms of the production value um you know there's definitely bands that have a really really good uh you know, chemistry on stage that don't mm-hmm. need lights or video. There's bands that need that video because it's part and parcel of the actual um, music itself. And it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't work without it. But yeah, I mean, this speaks to a, um, you know, a multimedia experience in a different way. It's it's mm-hmm. very interactive. And I think, you know, music performance, I think all too often people just go and, expect all right well i'm just going up as a band or a singer or whatever and i'm playing music but there's really nothing else and i think a a lot of musicians don't understand the fact that you have to connect with the audience in whatever Mm -hmm. way that is your personality and uh no i think that's that's fantastic i think you should definitely put more energy into that and uh, you know (laughs) perform it as much as you can because that's definitely something i i I'd like to see, and yeah, that's killer. Thank um, you, thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's talk about the current situation a little bit. How <laughs> how have you had to pivot in in what you're doing? I mean, obviously, every, I mean, the 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 obvious one is lessons go online versus in person. But you know, how has that affected everything else you're doing? Um. Well, I've had. I, I had like a week of being in limbo and not knowing if my <clears throat> if I was going to keep my job, if I was going to be able to keep it. Um, so in that week of limbo, I just decided to go head on on my demos. And I just made like seven demos of songs mm-hmm. that I've just had in my back pocket um, and trying to aspiring to release some kind of larger collection of songs, whether it's an EP or an album is yet to be determined, but I want to release something like that next year. And so I decided, okay, I have this time. I'm at home. I'm going to just like hunker down and make these demos. And I feel really privileged in my ability to do this. And I want to take advantage of that. So um, that was like, that was like one way that this has kind of been beneficial to me, but, and how things have changed. I don't think that I would otherwise have given myself the time to really focus on that because I am a very sociable person. I like going out to events and supporting um, local artists who are doing shows and stuff. So that's been different. There's definitely been, uh, as you know, uh, a surge of live streamed concerts, which mm-hmm. has been both awesome and also overwhelming because I feel like oh my gosh am I supposed to be at all of these like that's just so much I don't I don't know if I can do another zoom meeting you know or things like that 
But it's it was also an adjustment period. And I think now I can kind of pick and choose which ones I want to attend and also choosing choosing ones that are integrated. And I think the the ones I've benefited, the meetings, uh, I guess the virtual meetups that I've benefited the most from have been actually medicine circles um, that some not only local, but like international community leaders have been holding to presence the new moon change or to do a medicine share or just to like meditate together. And I think those have been surprisingly powerful, even though they were virtual. Mm. And and I am now it, it's helping me shift what I would typically do. I think usually I would focus on like getting more gigs and like doing a tour. I had a tour that was going to happen like, you know, a week and a half from today. It's not happening, obviously. So right. um, it, it's helping me get creative about how I want to build community because it's something so inherent to to who I am as a human. So uh, a friend of mine who is in the UK they are a tarot card reader and a musician and kind of they're really in alignment with what what I like to do in in the in terms of like music as healing and trying to be like intersectional about the medicines that we can share and so they said like I'm going stir crazy I want to share medicines with other people and so we're kind of doing an open call to like um healers and energy workers and musicians who believe in healing um, to gather together on the internet. Um, that's going to be April 11th um, at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And so we have a Zoom meeting and I think it's going to be great for us to to kind of do um, a mutual aid exchange of, okay, like I can read tarot cards. Someone else can say, I interpret dreams. Someone else can say like, I can give you a voice lesson, you know, and mm -hmm. that can help you empower you. And so there can be like a skill share of sorts, a trade. So I think in this time, it's important for us to think of currencies outside of actual like cash mm -hmm. money because we are kind of running low on that, but we have so much knowledge to share. And I think um, so that the healers can then better support their communities after we get out of this um, kind of at home crisis, uh, mm. then we can we have even more to provide because we have skills that we've learned from other people like all over the world. So, yeah, I tell I totally think that's the silver lining to this situation is it's really going to push technology. It's going to push mm -hmm. um people like you said i i'm i'm thinking the same kind of thing is like a bartering system mm -hmm. instead of paying somebody money to do your album art you know you, you trade you know the album art for a voice lesson or a yes. accounting or a video or whatever yes, it may be yes 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 yeah yes. it's it's totally um yeah I, I think it's totally workable you see I see a lot of people growing their own food all, all of a sudden it's been you know it really hasn't been that long but everyone you know, panic buying things have turned people to go in their garden and plant stuff. Yes. Which, within, <laughs> within like days. I'm like, okay. I'm not quite, I, I don't like gardening. I will, you know, that, that is my absolute worst thing going to do yard work and gardening. But hey, if, if it needs to get done to eat, then, you know, I'll probably have to do it. But so. Right. Right. Yes adopting adopting new practices and new hobbies during this time it's kind of yeah, what needs sure. to happen yep all right so um what major significant ex uh negative experience have you overcome and what did it teach you 
I mean, we definitely talked about your uh, being hit by a car and um, the depression, but is there any big thing outside of those two? Um, yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, there's this is the one I I always share. Um, well, there was I had a a private lesson in college. I think it was probably like my was it my junior year after I got back from college? I'm not sure exactly if it was then or maybe it was not from college when I got back from London because I studied abroad. Um, okay. I, I think it was maybe my sophomore year, late sophomore year. I'm not sure. Somewhere in there, my second or third year, I had a private lesson with like a renowned composer uh, and he... I, I didn't really want to take this lesson, but I said, okay, I'm, a, I'm in school. Like, I should take every opportunity I can get. I'll, like, get, try to write as much music as possible so I can get feedback. And, um, you know, taking feedback for me is really challenging. I can be a little stubborn. Um, <laughs> I'll admit it. Um, but this lesson, I showed this, this composer my string quartet that I was working on. And I think... I'd never met him before and he had I had sent him a SoundCloud link and I think he kind of skimmed through my bio and read that I was in a salsa band and just kind of skimmed through things. And um, after I showed him my string quartet, he told me, I don't I don't think this is you. I was kind of like, excuse me, what? You don't know me. Um, This is weird. So. I was like a little bit overwhelmed and then he I didn't really say anything and he started saying how I like do I know like the history of the string quartet and I was like I no I don't it's like you have you have resources at your fingertips you should know all about like when was the first time that this string technique when was the first time that Colegno Batuto was used when was the first time that the Bartok picks was used and I was like uh I like in a Bartok piece like I don't know I'm and so I was really, he really stressed me out. I was overwhelmed and I started crying and, and he was just, and at the end he said to me, you know, you should really, you should really just write salsa music. You should, you should stick to like Peruvian music, stick to what you know and what you're, what you like. And I was like, what? Mm. I was, it was just so racist. It was just so incredibly racist. And, um earth shattering to me and also for someone that doesn't know me to tell me that I don't know who I am is is or that thinks that they know who I am was just so like baffling to me so so that was like a really life-changing experience and in some ways you know in small ways I'm grateful because it kind of changed the direction of my entire musical process and career in 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 um in conservatory because then at that point I was like okay f this I am gonna make the music that I want to make and that means like no maybe this isn't just like a string quartet like maybe I do want to just write songs and like and it's not just songs I want to write songs okay there's no just Mm -hmm. in any of this um and it wasn't salsa music and it wasn't Peruvian Andean music. Like it was, it was me. And, and in some ways, um, it just, it also really taught me what like bad pedagogy is. And that's, and that was him. You know, he was, I was like, mm-hmm. I, I never want to make a student feel this way ever. 
And at the time I wasn't teaching yet. Um, so it was, it was, it was definitely like a life changing, really, really painful experience that like led me to a lot of the depression I talked to you about. And also, um, to an existentialist crisis that ultimately made me have the best senior recital that I could ever ask for um, afterwards with music that felt most authentically mine. That's, yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate, but I mean, fantastic of what you learned. I mean, I I do find that the, uh, these, um, you know, these type of experiences really make us stronger. You know, yeah. So, I mean, maybe... May, you know, get, frame it in your mind as the silver lining is that you don't want to, you know, you never want to make a student feel like that. So that's, you know, that's the positive from that, you know, elitist mm-hmm. experience. That's, I mean, that's basically the definition of elitist. That's terrible. Yeah. But, elitist and so, racist. Intersectional yes, exactly. elitism. <laughs> oh. oh, dear. So, well, I mean, on, on the flip side, what major experience? Sorry. Mess the questions up again. What major positive experience has given you the encouragement to follow this journey? Mm, I the first one that comes to mind um, in in terms of in my time while I was in college was um, that around around my senior year, probably oh no, it was my junior year, <clears throat> trying to get my my years straight. Um, the Chamber Orchestra of Boston, who I had been volunteering for for since I got to college, they were a really, really, really sweet people. Um, they did what I was like hoping they would always do. They commissioned me to write a piece for their orchestra with a, a small honorarium. But for me, it was my first ever commission. I was just super new and felt so grateful like I can really write whatever I want for this orchestra and I can just like I was so excited Mm -hmm. and I ended up making all of the orchestra players at the end breathe together and the conductor at the very end of the piece turned around and conducted the audience in breathing so it's um I was I felt like I could do that because it was like this is my piece they want me to do what I want to do and that's that's like all I could ask for. Um, so that wasn't that was like an instrumental piece. There was um, mm-hmm. no no singing or anything, but it, it felt like a, a way of viewing orchestral music and my music as something that could be positive and not just oppressive. Um, so mm-hmm. that was that was an important an important change of tone um, before graduating. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I, awesome yeah other pos- there's like been so many positive things honestly I feel like I have just been gifted so many opportunities and not not only gifted but I think once I finally accepted myself as a singer songwriter and as a queer person that I am then I started putting myself out there more and reaching out to opportunities and and as I reached out more, then I started getting other opportunities that I never reached out about uh, thrown at me, too. Mm. So it was kind of like this um, this momentum started happening in Boston. And I think one of my favorite positive moments has been um, at the 
at the Oberon in Cambridge. It's this really amazing um, kind of multi-purpose nightclub. And I got to perform mm-hmm. one of my songs there and really took a theatrical approach on it and didn't have to play an instrument while singing, which was like, what? I don't have to do that? Like, because I've been so used to like being as self-sufficient as possible. Um, and so that was like an amazing opportunity that opened me up to um, like performing in my body as my full self and that that's like an invaluable um experience that i had there so so the big one i always ask is what does music mean to you (laughs) it means life means love it means passion it means medicine it means healing yeah awesome (laughs) very very poignant and very 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 uh i don't know where i was going with that okay (laughs) Sorry, brain it's fart. Okay. When you get old, you you, you start to <laughs> your brain function stops working a little bit. Oh um, my gosh! Don't worry. Awesome. <laughs> so yeah, so um, you know, if people want to reach out, find your music. Where can they find you? I'm on all streaming platforms, so Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp. Bandcamp has some special stuff, so you should definitely check out the Bandcamp. Also, Bandcamp okay. is just superior. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Anais Azul, that's A-N-A-I-S-A-Z-U-L. I'm also on all social media platforms. Primarily, I am using Instagram at Anais Azul. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I post a lot of random things there, including how to make kombucha. So if you want to uh. know random things about my life, Instagram is the best way to keep knowing random things. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I, I I dig kombucha, so I've been <clears throat> drinking that for a you know few months now. To, oh, awesome! Uh, you know, so yeah, I will be. I didn't <clears throat> notice that, but I will be definitely checking that out. It's a bookmarked um, story, so you can check it out whenever. <laughs> excellent. Um. Yeah. So at the end of the uh, episode, I like to play a piece of music uh, from the artist. What what track have you chosen? Um, I've chosen analysis paralysis, and I think it goes well with what we've been talking about regarding mental health. Um, And what I want to say about the song is that I have a music video coming out for it. I had a little brain fart there, too. (laughs) I have a music video coming out for it on May 3rd, and this is the first time I am publicly announcing that. Cool. So I, I'm I'm really excited for folks to get acquainted to it before um, they watch the music video. Awesome. Um, so you uh, assuming it happens? Are you planning on uh, going to Austin this year? I I actually was thinking of waiting until the DIY conference is in a different uh, city, just okay. because. Uh, I don't. I, I do fortunately have people I can stay with in Austin, and now probably more than ever. Um, but I was like, I think I want a different city adventure of it, and maybe like it's not totally sustainable for me to do this every year. <laughs> right, right. But um, have you thought about doing the one in uh, uh, where is it? Portugal or is it what? Uh, There's one in Portugal. Is it Portugal or Spain? No, it's Valencia. That's right. It's oh, in Valencia. Oh, there's a there's a conference in Valencia. Yep. Oh, well, I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> yeah, because uh, obviously um, the F is going to be more expensive, but the uh, accommodation is going to be a lot cheaper. 
Yeah. So I actually um, happen to have a friend that lives in Valencia, so I could also. Oh, awesome. I, I love any excuse to go to Europe, I got to say. Um, I But we'll see. We'll have to see when, when it is. Um, I'm definitely yeah, I, always interested. I'd have to look. I can't remember when. It, it's. I don't remember if it's before the one in Austin or after, but yeah, uh, I think they last year was the first time they had it. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I I know I know Berkeley has a um, campus over there, yeah. so I, I I think they work with the Berkeley campus a lot. So it's a really cool campus, yeah. Awesome. Well, this was a fantastic interview. Really, uh, you know, grateful that you uh, you took the time today and. You know, we learned all about your music and everything, so it's it's been really great for me. Um, any final closing words for the for the? Um, I was about to say viewers, but the listeners. The listeners, may they view too. Um, just um, just thank you for tuning in, and and thank you for for the interview, and for folks to remember that they can. They can repeat positive phrases to themselves in these difficult times, you know, even if it's not sung, even if it's just like, I love you, even if it's just like, um, I'm worthy, whatever phrase that you can repeat to yourself to make you feel better, like, please use that. This is a resource we all have access to. And if we can't say it with our voices, repeating it in our minds is, is powerful too. So, so thank you so much. Very cool. All right. Well, you have a fantastic rest of your day and uh, we will definitely keep in touch. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you once again for listening. I hope you enjoyed Anais' story and got a lot out of it. And I, for one, am definitely excited to try out brewing my own homemade kombucha. Head over to see the show notes for each episode at musiconyourownterms.com. There are some pretty cool videos to check out from various guests and also links to their music and social media if you want to learn more. You can also sign up for the Music on Your Own Terms mailing list to hear what I'm up to and hear what guests are coming up in future episodes. Don't forget to take a look at the store and pick up something for your grandma. And finally, I'd really appreciate it if you leave a review on iTunes because that really helps the podcast get in front of more people just like you who want to learn from other people's strategies and failures and how they learned from them. And I really feel that the information coming from the guests I interview is really valuable for the musicians community. As always, keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Anais Asul with Analysis Paralysis.
anymore anymore 